Old Boys Club, a weekly podcast where two young women explain the ins and outs of Australian politics. And there's no such thing as a stupid question. My name is Justine Landis Hanley. I am a journalist and I used to work in politics very briefly, though. Okay, still, still a problem that we'll work out in our friendship somehow. Okay. My name is Matilda Bosley. I'm also a reporter and I've never been to camera, actually. Coming up on the show this week, why were people twerking at the Australian Defence Force on the weekend? And how is this the sex scandal we're talking about this week? Are we getting vaccinated this year? No. (laughs) And for our big explainer this week, we look at what the fuck is going on with Australia Post and its former CEO, Christine Holgate. Now, I know what you're thinking. That sounds like unbelievably boring. Yes. Trust us. It's good. It's good. It's juicy. It's there's a lot of name calling. There's a lot of drama. There's there's. Accusations of sexism. There's, there's a Senate committee there's that's Cartier, not selling them. There's Cartier watches. There is Cartier watches. Yeah. <laughs> but less Cartier watches than you expect. Okay. <laughs> um, we're also going to be talking about uh, Aboriginal deaths in custody as we mark the 30-year anniversary of the Royal Commission into this issue. But before we get into any of that, uh, we have a favour to ask. So if you're listening to this podcast, which, you know, if you can hear me talking, you are. Surprised. Don't lie to us. <laughs> We'd love if you would take a screenshot of your phone right now showing you listening to the podcast. Spotify if you're cool. iTunes if, you know, you, you're getting there. A majority of our listeners listen on iTunes. Okay, I listen on iTunes too. I'm not saying that I'm cool. <laughs> I wish that I was the kind of person listening on Spotify. Um, we'd like you to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram story and tag us at Old Boys Club Pod. Uh, it's genuinely just the best way for us to get the word of the podcast out there, and it's been such like an amazing first week. Like the reaction to the podcast has been kind of just unbelievable. Yeah. It's been really amazing. We um, weren't expecting that. And we're trying to build on that momentum. Every week we are going to be shouting out on the podcast the people who post to their Instagram story that they're listening to the podcast. And this week someone already did it. Um, so thank you so, so much to Tian McCready. I'm so sorry if I pronounced your name incorrectly. It meant so much to us to see you sharing it on your Instagram stories. And uh, we're just so glad that you're enjoying the podcast. And everyone else, shape up. Yeah, shape up. Be like <laughs> <laughs> Justine, how's your week been? Okay, so it's been really good because I've been so excited and happy that this podcast has been going so great and people have been Enough with the self-congratulations. Okay, Tell sorry. me the anecdote. Okay, so um, uh, something happened to me on my way to this recording <laughs> session. So I work part-time um, at a women's media company um, and they get sent a lot of cool stuff. I realise I've been in the really the wrong field of journalism my whole life. Like when I write an investigation, I get death threats when they write a story they get like free makeup and stuff um but they got sent a bunch of vibrators and they said do you want to take one home and I was like look I'm not gonna say no to like a vibrator I'm not crazy so I took it home with me and it was in my backpack and I'm waiting at the bus stop and suddenly I just hear this this sound coming from my bag It's like intense. What mode was it on? This is basic mode. I don't know. There's 25 settings. Let me try. Okay. If I hold this button, it's like a disco. That's amazing. (laughs) So that started going up in my bag. I literally had to unbox a vibrating (laughs) dildo at the bus stop in front of peak hour like patrons to try and turn it off. 
So oh that happened. God. I don't know why. I, I, it was anyway. I'm okay. <laughs> I survived. I, I thankfully we have to wear masks on public transport, so they wouldn't have seen who I am. I don't know why I'm carrying so much shame about this. I think it's just like it was just a very embarrassing situation. I like that you're like, yeah, I'm an empowered woman, and then the world really put you to the test about not being ashamed of your sexuality, <laughs> and you, I you thought the crumbled. test was whether I thought the test was whether when I'm asked do I want a free vibrator in my brand new workplace, do I say yes? And I was like, yes. And then the world was like, ha ha, hold on. <laughs> so that was my week. How was your week, well, Matilda? You sinned and you got punished. So I don't know what to tell. <laughs> <laughs> my week was good i've been so excited to do the podcast oh yes now stop with the self-congratulations oh, oh okay um my week has been good i've just had regular things going on but there has been one tweet that i've become obsessed with and okay. i wanted to share okay um it's consumed my whole life you have to describe it you realize that this is not a visual platform okay well we'll put the photo up on um instagram and okay. the facebook group it's the new south wales opposition leader jody mckay so she's the head of labor in new south wales uh-huh. and as we discussed last week they've got like a little mini election going on in the region called the upper hunter valley where basically every party's basically putting up a candidate and they're doing a little election just for that seat yeah and she announced the new candidates this guy called Jeff Drayden, he's like a mining dude, union dude, very on brand for what Labor would be trying to get out of that region. But she announced it at a press conference, obviously, but then she put up a tweet where she says, delighted to announce Jeff Drayton as the Labor's candidate for Upper Hunter Valley by-election, hashtag New South Wales poll. So, like, very normal. And then it's a group shot. All sounding normal so far. Very normal. She is standing in front of Jeff Drayton, like 60% of his face is covered. He is not looking at the camera at all. She's dead centre, looks beautiful, glowing, skin amazing. Every other person in that photo is not looking at the camera, is like got half a weird smirk on their face. It's sort of just like looking down and sulky. The person she is tweeting about. Yeah. Is not visible, basically, in this photo. <laughs> He's behind her. Okay. It's so amazing. I'm obsessed with it because this is, like, exactly what, like, members of my family do as well. I'm not going to name names, but I'm just, like, you'll have a photo and they'll look glowing and everyone else is you'll just be, like, terrible. You'll like, your your eyes, like, half closed. Yeah, like. I don't know. I've just been so obsessed with it and no one else is, is as uh, – I thought this was going to be big news. In my mind, I'm like, this is the story. Of the it week. It hasn't been. No, um, but, but you I still snuck it. it in this podcast anyway. So we let's get on – let's, let's start talking about the actual news this week. Oh, God. Bye. Hi, Jody. Bye, vibrators. Let's go. <laughs> Justine, last week we talked a lot about vaccines and how it wasn't really going well. How's it gone in the week since? It's just going so badly. Australia's <laughs> vaccine rollout is like, okay. So last week, Australia's vaccine rollout was going badly. This week, it's non-existent. Just to recap, if you haven't listened to our podcast episode last week, we did like a deep dive explainer into what the fuck was going on with our vaccine rollout, why there were so many delays. And then the latest news that broke like 15 minutes before we started recording was that AstraZeneca, the main vaccine Australia had acquired millions of doses of, was now not Suitable to be injected into people under 50 years old. Which is like a lot of people. That's a, it's a lot. It's a significant number of people. They start, they start thinning out after 50. <laughs> oh, my God. 
gosh. Um, yeah, so, so really bad news. Um, <laughs> so what's happened since then? So Scott Morrison came out and said, look, it's okay, guys. I've secured another 20 million doses of this other vaccine, Pfizer, which is more effective, doesn't cause these blood clots that people are concerned AstraZeneca causes. So things are looking good there. Except he said the word secured. But did he secure them or did he order them? Which is also what we did for AstraZeneca and a lot of those haven't rocked up. Yeah, exactly. So basically the government has ordered an additional 20 million doses of Pfizer, but they're not going to arrive until the final quarter of 2021. See, this is interesting language that politicians are using. (laughs) So they're constantly saying in the final quarter. And when you sort of say in the final quarter, you're thinking like, oh, October. October, yeah, that's that's fine. We got time. To be clear, the final quarter lasts until 11.59 p.m. on the 31st of December, 2021. It means till the end of the year. He says they'll arrive by the end of the year. But because we're in... April, end of the year doesn't sound that great, does it? No. But that's what it means. Yeah, and it also it just means that they're going to just have arrived by that time. It doesn't mean that they're going to be in everyone's arms. Well, yeah, notionally, even if they all 20 million extra doses rocked up October 1st, October 1st yeah. we would then have 12 weeks to give out, what? Millions of doses. 12 million doses. So what this means is that all of our vaccination targets that the government had set are out the window. And the government came out on Monday, Scott Morrison and Greg Hunt came out on Monday and said that we are actually going to abandon any kind of vaccination target as a country this year. Okay, so Justine, it's also got harder to get new vaccines in the last week, hasn't it? Why? Well, yeah, because every other country is facing the same problem that Australia is. Suddenly AstraZeneca is being declared by governments all over the world as no longer suitable for people under the age of 50 because of this new research we have that it causes blood clots. So, Very, To be clear, very, very tiny chance of causing blood clots. Yeah, it's a percentage of a percentage. So it's a small percentage you'll get blood clots and then an even smaller percentage that you're going to actually get really sick and die from those blood clots. Mm-hmm. But it's enough to cause concern amongst governments around the world. So all these governments are now quickly scrambling to secure other vaccines for their people as well. Another problem is that AstraZeneca isn't the only vaccine that is seeing these side effects of blood clots. So Johnson & Johnson, they had a vaccine. So that's the cool, like, new one in America where you only need one dose that everyone was really excited about. Turns out that also has problems with blood clots. So that's put a halt on uh, governments wanting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And then there's this new vaccine called Novavax. Now, we spoke last week about basically how a lot of our hopes are riding on Novavax at the the moment. The problem with Novavax is that the company is saying they're actually kind of behind schedule. And the reason they're behind schedule is because they've run out or they're, they're low and, it's, and, and struggling to get a hold of enough raw materials to make this vaccine. The problem is that all these countries around the world are facing a similar problem to what Australia is facing. And so, um, but the interesting difference is that some other countries like the UK have like seven different vaccine deals with different suppliers and different vaccine types. So they currently have a few more options at play than Australia, which really put a lot of its eggs in the AstraZeneca basket and a few in the Pfizer basket. So where are we left? We currently have no vaccine targets. We have no vaccine coming very soon. And ooh, hey, hey, do you know what we do have? What do we have? Twice weekly national cabinet meetings. (laughs) Yes, the government has stepped up its national cabinet meetings, which are basically meetings that it holds with various state governments to try and uh, tackle this dilemma a bit more quickly. And they'd gone down to monthly when everything was chill. And then Scott Morrison's like, we're on a war footing. We're doing twice weekly now. (laughs) And all the premiers are like... 
okay, like shit, we're going to meet with you twice weekly, but like there's no vaccine. So what the fuck are we going to talk this about? Is, this is an interesting thing that's come out. The, the government, so Scott Morrison has been like, states, we've really got to work together to get these vaccines We both out. have our problems. We both have problems we need to solve. And then the states are kind of like, okay but we don't have the problem is we don't have the vaccines like <laughs> it's, it's kind of like if you are like a building manager mm. and then the building's way behind schedule and yep. so you ring up the interior decorators and you're like could you please get your ass down here we yeah. need to talk we need to talk why about this- aren't you decorating and they're like uh there's no walls yeah we can't put up the wallpaper like <laughs> there's nothing to paint yeah so the so what we do have though to round off this segment is we have States working with the government to set up mass vaccination hubs across the country um, to vaccinate the masses, as it suggests. Um, the problem still remaining that we don't have enough vaccines. Well, I think we need to be a bit clear about this. We have enough vaccines for older 50s. We are overflowing with AstraZeneca. Yeah. So there some is, would say there we is... have too much AstraZeneca now. <laughs> well, some could argue. Um, so the, the next couple of months, the vaccination is going to be super busy. Like we're going to be getting a lot done. We're going to get, be getting a lot of people vaccinated and then it's going to drop off significantly in, in, unless this Pfizer starts rolling in. Yeah. Yeah. So mass vaccination hubs to come, vaccine potentially to come. Probably not getting vaccinated by the end of the year. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, unless yeah. imagine if like if we got the vaccine on the thirty first of December, and it's like everybody like we're vaccinating tonight. <laughs> oh my gosh, we'll have a party if we get vaccinated this oh, year. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay, lick a door handle. <laughs> But thankfully for the government, there was a wonderful distraction from all the vaccine drama, and that is people twerking in front of the Governor-General. Uh, or were they? <laughs> Kinda. So, Matilda, what? I I don't get it. So I saw all over Twitter this week that there were these young women in red outfits twerking and dancing. In front, in and front of a large boat. Booty shaking in front of a large boat. Yes, yeah. yes. That's and cool. people looked really angry. Yeah. Okay, it's it's a complicated thing. It's kind of very hilarious until it becomes very not hilarious at the end. So we're going to go on this roller coaster together. Okay, start with the funny. Okay, so basically this happened on Sunday, this twerking incident. Yes. But <laughs> people didn't start paying attention to it until Wednesday when the ABC, the Australian National Broadcaster, published a news package, essentially like a news story, talking about this. And then they basically what it was is that um, the Navy had spent $2 billion on this new ship, which – that's a lot for a boat. It's not a great place to start. Two billion. <laughs> two two billion with a B. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But casuals didn't get jobs, Keita. Um, but uh, so basically to commemorate this sort of the launch of this ship, the commissioning of it, they had lots of performances and it was this big thing where dignitaries came, the governor general came. He's like the only person technically more important than the prime minister because he represents the queen, but he has no power. It's a bit confusing. <laughs> We're a monarchy. It's a bit of a shit show. Um, the governor general came, the all head of the defense. army. Everyone's yeah. in those like white suits with all the medals. Yeah. And then they're looking down the AB shows on just these ladies shaking some ass. Um, and it's like cutting back and forth between. Between these ladies twerking. Yep. Je- be- great dance. It's like a little dance troupe. They're talented. They're like wearing little booty shorts. They're all in sync. It's yeah. great. Cutting and between then, that image. To and- angry dignitaries. Yeah. And. And the internet went crazy. The internet loved it, mostly because they didn't have the full story, which we will get to, and there was also something to hate for everyone. So the left-wing sort of side of things were like, oh, my God, why are these old 
government, crusty army dudes just sexualizing women and in, getting entertainment that objectifies women, and then um, which is problematic in and of itself. And then the conservatives were like, oh, my God, how dare our beautiful ship be tarnished <laughs> by the sexuality of women? That's not appropriate. And everyone went crazy and everyone loved it. And then everyone started making fun of it on Twitter and it was just kind of this hilarious Thing that happened. So we've got this, there's this footage of twerking dancers, of people looking disgruntled, left wing, mad, right wing, mad. And then what happens? Okay, so what it turns out was that this news story wasn't actually quite accurate in the way they've cut together the clips because the dancers and the dignitaries weren't actually there at the same time. Oh. The dancers did this dance, they left or they stopped performing, and then the dignitaries, including the Governor-General, came in because everyone's like, why is people twerking in front of the Governor-General? And everyone's basically was, the King of England. Mm, yeah, this our discount monarch. Um, <laughs> and people twerk in front of him and Dave Early's like, I'm fine with <laughs> that's that's alleged. That's not true. He, he didn't say anything. Um, he because he didn't see it. Turns out, yeah. Um, because and it's very unclear whether this is just like an editing mistake or something more purposeful. I tend someone to trying to drum up drama as, at the ABC. As someone who's worked in TV, it lends itself to just being an editing mistake where the the journalist, the person who was there, and the editor editing towards the video haven't spoken to each other, so yeah. they would have just cut together the stuff, thinking it was all happening whenever. Like you wouldn't yeah. think that dancers are dancing to no audience. Well, they did have an audience. It just wasn't the audience. Okay. But then also it turns out that it wasn't just a twerking performance anyway. It was like a long dance performance. This was like a tiny minute clip like towards the end. Like and the dancers came out and said this, right? Yeah. So so like it wasn't representative. It was also like a cultural group and the army had like got them to perform to be like supporting the local art scene in Woolamaroo where this all happened. <laughs> um, and then the dance troupe came out and they're like, dudes, what the hell? Like why are you making it seem like we're this sort of – you know, trampy dancers dancing in front of these like cool army dudes, which just, it wasn't the case. And they're like, the way the media's represented this is essentially put us in a really bad position. We feel really unsafe about this. We feel like we've been subjected to like a lot of really harsh criticism. And so basically the ABC afterwards came out and issued an apology and essentially said, you know, the way that this was shown was inaccurate. What actually went to air during the main bulletin didn't really show that. We've corrected the story online. But, you know, there's a certain element of sort of the cats out of the bag. So it was just like ridiculous from start to finish and I'm still not clear what happened but like was it good to think about this rather than the vaccines for a day kind of yeah 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 much more fun so Matilda Thursday marked the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody handing down its recommendations to government yeah Can you explain what this is? Yeah. So it's one of those things that I feel like everyone mentions the Royal Commission, but then unless you were alive in the 90s, maybe don't have a full understanding of what actually happened. Mm. So basically in the late 80s into the 90s, there was this Royal Commission that went on to look at and examine uh, why it seemed that Indigenous and Aboriginal people were dying in custody at a, such a higher rate than other than types white of people. prisoners. Yeah. And by in custody we mean like – being arrested, being, you know... Uh, Jailed. Being in jail or at a police watch house, being in prison or even sort of at hospital being treated but still, like, in custody. It's a, yep. It doesn't just mean prison. It's, it's fairly wide-ranging. And eventually the, what the Royal Commission concluded was that an Indigenous person individually isn't 
necessarily more likely to die in custody than a non-Indigenous person. But Indigenous people are so vastly over-policed and over-incarcerated that if you're Indigenous, you're much more likely to die in custody Mm. than if you aren't. And it's a bit of a statistical tongue twister in your mind, but basically uh, it comes down to the fact that the deaths in custody is sort of the impetus for this investigation and the core sort of problem is this over-policing. So Indigenous people are 13 times more likely to be jailed or to be put in jail than a non-Indigenous person. Wow. Um, It's, yeah, it's really extreme. So Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people make up 3% of the Australian population. They make up 20% of the prison population. Wow. So we're talking vast over-representation. And so they had this Royal Commission, they made these findings and they made 339 recommendations on how to fix the prison system, fix the policing system to a certain degree to mitigate the risks that Indigenous people could die in custody. So it's very contentious how many of these recommendations have actually been enacted. No one really knows, but essentially not enough and not well enough. Yeah, we still have a problem today. It's vastly not addressed overall, and it's been 30 years. Uh, And in that time, The Guardian Australia tracks, there's been 474 Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who have died while in custody in those 30 years. So this is not a problem that has been solved by any stretch of the imagination. Um, It's also important to note, I feel like these statistics also get a bit confused a bit. So deaths in custody is the general term. So the number one cause of deaths in custody is medical issues and then it's self-harm. But then a lot of people hear that and they go, oh, well, this isn't, you know, being killed by the police. Therefore, why are we talking about this? It's important to note that even, even in medical deaths, Indigenous people are much more likely to have not received all the medical care they required prior to their death. Mm-hmm. And custodial agencies, so maybe that's the police watch house, maybe that's the prison, maybe that's, you know, um, the hospital that's looking after them while they're in custody, uh, are twice as likely to have not followed all of their own procedures leading up to the death as well. So just because you are sort of saying, well, this isn't police shooting Indigenous people, which, by the way, is also at a much higher rate, Mm. um, that doesn't mean that race doesn't play a part in these medical deaths, these suicides and and things like that. And it's not entirely unavoidable. It is entirely avoidable. Like even some of the recommendations are like remove the hanging points in cells so that people can't... Hang themselves. hang themselves like and that in a lot of prisons hasn't happened and it continues to happen so that was the 30 years today some states have made you know some commitments like victoria sort of put out a statement saying we need to do better we can do better we're going to enact all of them but like victoria still the minimum age of criminal responsibility is 10 years old so 10 year olds can technically be locked up in victoria and be charged with criminal activity which like indigenous activists constantly have been like, um, let's not do that. Cause like, guess which 10 year olds are getting locked up in Australia? Like totally. realistically. Um, so what is the significance of this day? Uh, so here's a clip from April day. She's the daughter of Yorta Yorta woman, auntie Tanya day, who died in police custody in 2017. Uh, it's really heavy, um, for us as a family and for all the families that have lost someone in custody. Um, we know that the majority of our loved ones would still be here today if those recommendations have been implemented. And, um, you know, it's 30 years too late. If this story brought up any strong feelings for you, um, help is available. You can call Lifeline Australia on 131114. <laughs> Matilda, just when we thought that this week wasn't going to include any (laughs) sexism. Justine, if you told me two years ago that I would ever 
care about Australia Post this much or spend multiple full days of my life thinking about Australia Post revenue and expenditure. And then and their um organizational structure. Yeah. I would have told you to get out of my house because I didn't know you, but also <laughs> um I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been delighted to learn that that's where my future was going. But I'm here. Yeah. And I'm like interested. If you've been listening to the news recently, you might have heard the name Christine Holgate thrown or ma- around. Or maybe you just sort of saw a photo of like a blonde woman wearing a white blazer. In Parliament. Looking a bit sad. So basically there's been a lot of kerfuffle around Christine Holgate, around Australia Post, around Cartier Watches this week. We're going to break it down for you. It's going to take us a little second to get to the point, but trust us, we'll get follow there. Us. Follow us. It's a good story. Follow us on the journey. Shall we start off by rewinding? So we're heading back to October 2020 and Senate Estimates is on. Now, brief sidebar, what is Senate Estimates? Justine. <laughs> I love how you throw to me for all the parliamentary jargon. What's, what's Senate estimates? Okay, so Senate estimates, it happens around three times a year. Now, the Senate is the upper house in parliament, and its core responsibility is to oversee the lower house in parliament, which is the government. Um, and one of their functions to do that is to scrutinize the government's budget and how it's spending public money. So they host this thing around three times a year called Senate estimates, and it's a chance for senators to come before various ministers, members of parliament, heads of government departments, heads of government organisations, and question them about their use of taxpayer money. Now, this sounds deeply boring. However, it's where all the juicy shit happens. It's where all the juicy shit (laughs) happens. Literally, like any big story about any budget yeah, in the past. Any like finance story, corruption story. like It's all Senate estimates, baby. It is the time when politicians like to come and show off. They'll reveal all these secrets um, and politicians get to be like, yeah, and I ask that question. So journalists, you're going to quote me when you write it up. And journalists love it because it's just like endless stories at Senate it's, estimates. It's, it is where a lot of stuff happens. And one of the things that came out in Senate estimates last year mm-hmm. was that Christine Holgate, so she's the CEO of Australia Post. Was the CEO. Very good point. Well, she would argue her contract was never formally terminated, but. Okay. <laughs> at the time she, she appeared was, before the Senate estimates. At the time of October 2020, Christine Holgate was then the CEO of Australia Post and she went before Senate estimates. So now is a good time to note that although Australia Post is government owned, it's not technically government run. So government run is stuff like departments, you know, the health department, the forestry, they directly employ people. Then there's government owned businesses, which are, you know, it's a government They're owned by the government. Yeah, well, it's government owned, but it's run essentially like a private business. So they have a CEO, they aim to make profits. uh, And essentially the government's just the only shareholder as part of it. So- Australia Post is a business, but... It tries to make money. But, like, it's an essential service so that we're not going to let it go bankrupt kind of thing. Yeah, so if it does make profit, that money either is reinvested into Australia Post or they pay dividends to their one shareholder, the Australian government. So Christine Holgate is found to have bought four $5,000 watches for her executives as a bonus to reward them for a lucrative deal that they secured. Now... It's important to realise the context at which this information came out. Which is the middle of a fucking pandemic. When everyone is struggling financially. Melbourne is still in lockdown, I think. Almost coming out. Yeah, but it's a really tough time for a lot of people. That's when the information came out. To be clear, the watches were actually bought in 2018. Yeah. So what we hear is this headline of 
$20,000 in watches for government employee fat cats already well paid. Getting And like, yeah, didn't sound great. It didn't sound great. No. And politicians from all sides of parliament got really mad. Like, I mean, Labor was for her getting booted. Albanese was like, she should go. Scott Morrison got up in parliament and said that, he thinks she should step aside from the role. He said during question time that Miss Holgate has been instructed to stand aside. If she doesn't wish to do that, she can go. Okay, I, I would like to do another replay, but like with more of the energy, which is like, she can be instructed to stand aside, or if she doesn't do that, she can go. I think that was more the kind of. I felt like I was in the panache. room. I have shivers. So as a result, um, Australia Post sought external legal advice on her employment contract. There was this huge fallout between her and the board of Australia Post and eventually she resigned from the role. She contests that. Yes. So (laughs) fast forward six months. It's this week. Okay, so it all goes dark for like six months, but eventually everyone kind of comes to the conclusion that actually she kind of did have permission to give these watches. Mm. And we're like, we, everyone's like, we need to figure this out. So a Senate inquiry is called. So One Nation calls for a Senate inquiry. And Not who I expected to rock up in this it story. it gets the support from Labor and the Greens, so it's established. One Nation's the Pauline Hanson one, by the way. And it's interesting. A listener actually asked us in our Facebook group, why is Pauline Hanson involved in this? Like, what's the reasoning behind that? And we often associate One Nation with, like, racism, sexism, Fair. homophobia. Fair enough. Yes. But at their core, they like to pride themselves as being for the working people. You have to think Australia Post represents a really important thing for people, particularly living in regional and rural Australia, where One Nation get a lot of their voters, Um, and particularly in Queensland, regional and rural Australia. And Christine Holgate in particular, as CEO of Australia Post, was a real champion for keeping regional and rural Australia Post outlets. So To One Nation, she represents someone who's fighting for the interests of the people that they are seeking to represent, these working class people from regional parts of Australia. And she also is a bit of an underdog in the situation. Yeah, Mm, quite a rich underdog. Um, (laughs) So basically, a a sort of unlikely series of events leads to this Senate inquiry where basically the big politicians are going to get to the bottom of what exactly happened with Christine Holgate and particularly whether she did anything wrong and whether she was sacked or whether she resigned. And that's kind of where that brings us up to speed. To Tuesday. Why don't you talk to us about Tuesday and what happened? Okay. So Tuesday kicked off with a bang. It was explosive. It was explosive. So Christine Holgate rocks up to the Senate inquiry at on Tuesday morning dressed head to toe in white. She did not come to play. She came to spill tea and kick ass. And what's that? My teacup's empty, she says. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so she is coming in hard with accusations. She blames Prime Minister Scott Morrison for driving her out of her job, for humiliating her in Parliament, for triggering the process that led to her being unlawfully stood aside. Allegedly. She says that she has this is she says that she's experienced bullying and intimidation um, over this watches fiasco. Um, and, and she also claims that she was well within her rights to give the watches. So she says that she actually had approval from the board to give away bigger bonuses, $150,000. She yeah. gave 
in total, $20,000 worth of watches. So we're talking a very small fraction of what could have been given. And she's saying, like, I actually don't even support big bonuses kind of kind of vibe. I was well within my rights. I became kind of the, the scapegoat of this whole situation is yep. her argument. Yeah. She also accuses the chairman of Australia Post of lying that she agreed to stand aside during the investigation and actually – forcing her to quit. She Uh, says that the assertions that she resigned were fabrications. She straight up accused him of of pretty serious stuff. Yeah, and she also says that he is lying about important matters to do with the future of Australia Post. And she says that, quote, that's why the chair of the Australia Post must go, not because of me, because he's lied to you all. I think it's also worth noting that the chairman of Australia Post, Lucio Di Bartolomeo, also spoke at this Senate committee. He essentially contested a lot of what Holgate said. Uh, Very specifically, he also said she agreed to stand aside. We didn't sack her. Uh, He very much contests that she was unlawfully let go in any way, shape, or form. She contests it right back. He also essentially says... You know, at the end of the day, uh, this kind of rests on her. Like, this isn't a chair situation and we didn't really do anything wrong. And also she agreed to stand aside, so it doesn't matter if we did. Um, That's kind of the vibe. Give me some spicy quotes. Uh, She says, I was hung in Parliament, humiliated, not just hung, run over by a bus and reversed again. She says, I was humiliated by our Prime Minister for committing no offence and then bullied by my chairman. I was thrown under the bus so the chairman of Australia Post could curry favour with his political masters. Yikes. Yeah, that's that's. That's bold. Like, That's as spicy as you get for a Senate committee. That is, that is extremely <laughs> spicy on a Senate in a Senate inquiry. It was a sort of situation where everyone's like, we've got to watch this. Like, it'll be important. And then she started talking and everyone's like, oh, cancel everything for the day. So, so <laughs> This was, is the headline. That was so intense. You literally threw something across <laughs> the room. Sorry. Um, the other important thing that she says is uh, that – the way she was treated was very much based on gender and that not only was she mistreated by the Prime Minister, mistreated by Australia Post, she was mistreated because she was a woman. And she said, to quote, members of parliament who have been accused of the most terrible atrocities to women, proven with one of them, and they're allowed to stand and still remain in their jobs and represent our country. I was forced to stand down. Yeah. Which is really powerful. And what she's referring to there is the weeks of um, allegations around sexual assault and harassment against parliamentary staffers and ministers that we've been hearing over the last two months. Yeah. Uh, Which, like, yeah, kind of valid. Yeah, I mean, in (laughs) fairness. No, in fairness, like, she was, she is a government employee who was forced to step down from a role that had nothing to do with like sexual assault or harassment, whereas other people in parliament have been allowed to keep their jobs and keep leadership positions despite the fact they have these allegations against them. Also, to be clear, while we were talking about all the sexism allegations, everyone keep being like, there was a bloody inquiry about watches and we're not going to do an inquiry about rape allegations. Like they were referencing that even back then and this is kind of the reversal of that. Yeah, so it's really striking quite a powerful blow for her to try and link, and I think quite successfully, her treatment to her gender. Yes. The other thing was that she came dressed head to toe in suffragette white. That's what the sort of media has been saying. It looks like it was pretty intentional. The people who were there with her head to toe in white, it's very clearly a colour that has been used frequently within the women's movement. And it's also drawing quite a direct parallel with um, Brittany Higgins, who's a former Liberal staffer Mm. who allegedly was raped by another former staffer inside Parliament House and then has since come out to uh, talk about how she feels like the government treated her 
Tehran fairly after this incident and essentially alleges that there was a vastly inadequate response to her alleged assault. And during the March for Justice, this big women's march, she came and she sort of spoke in front of the building that, you know, she alleges that she was sexually assaulted in, dressed head to toe in suffragette white and delivered this extraordinarily powerful speech. Extremely powerful. And I think it's pretty clear that there was a visual link between these two incidents. An attempt to try and link between the two. Yes. And look, there clearly is gendered elements in this. I Mm. think some people have argued that perhaps it is somewhat cynical almost for a sort of very rich and powerful woman to align herself so clearly with this kind of ongoing movement um, to kind of, I don't know, I don't even even know if I agree with what I'm saying, but the argument would be that she's trying to align herself with a movement that's quite difficult to argue against as a way that makes her look very favourable in this situation. I think think it's that she's trying to draw too close a parallel to a movement built around like women's sexual assault and the discrimination and silencing of in particular like marginalised women's voices. And she herself was quite a powerful woman in Australian business and government with quite a large salary. Can we draw the same equivalencies between, is it okay for her to associate herself with this movement so closely? Yeah. And I think a lot of people have said that it almost sort of feels a bit like hashtag girl boss. Yeah. Like a wave behind where we are. I, uh, but also, I think it's – we can't ignore the fact that, okay, even powerful women in business are treated very, very differently to powerful men in business. Like, Absolutely. Like, being rich doesn't shield you from the patriarchy at the end of the day. And I think a lot of people would argue that Christine Holgate's situation turned out very differently because she was a woman. And if she was a male CEO, there's plenty of people who would argue that she wouldn't have been asked to resign or told to resign or step aside or whatever she was specifically told to do. Everyone's arguing. She wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened from the prime minister on the floor of parliament if she was a man, I think is the argument. Yeah. And it hasn't happened for a lot of the men in Scott Morrison's government who have had allegations against them. I also wanted to turn to a couple of the questions that people wrote to us in our Facebook group. Yeah, we've got a Facebook group. We have a Facebook group. It's like a fun little safe space to ask really dumb political questions and then we'll ask some really dumb political questions and then we'll try and answer both of them. Yay! But also people have been writing like really intelligent questions I in know. there. <laughs> and, but also <laughs> memes. This is and political memes. memes. Also great if you memes. want Ozpol memes that like aren't terrible. So if you want to join our Facebook group, it's called Old Boys Club Podcast Community, and we would love to have you there. So some of the questions, we put a call out. We've said that we were going to do a segment this week on Christine Holgate, and we put a call out for some, like, what people wanted us to answer. So one of the questions that we got was, if Holgate were a private sector CEO, would she have been fired for giving bonuses to high performers on completion of high-value projects? Are the standards we expect of private and public sector executives the same? No, they're very different. They are very different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in particular here, like she, what we found out during this Senate inquiry is that she was allowed to give out $150,000 worth of bonuses to these people. I also think it's interesting that our conversation has turned to she was allowed to give out the bonuses when it's like the question was never really at, at its core whether she was allowed to or not. Sure, that was like what Australia Post cared about. Yeah. But what people cared about is that, that they were allowed to. Like, that's worse. Like, uh, the takeaway almost from this should be like, oh, my God, you're allowed to give out $150,000 bonuses to people who are, like, one degree of separation away from being government employees? 
is it more of the media's job to now be saying, wait a second, why on earth was she allowed to be given $150,000 bonuses? That's contested, by the way. She says she was allowed to. But what, what, if that is the case, why is that the case? Why is a government body allowed to give these kinds of bonuses? And it's also interesting. I think this goes back to a problem that we have in our conception of these government-owned but not government-run organizations. Like, these are private companies that the government owns and profits from. And so... I think it's 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 been hard for the Australian public throughout this whole saga to wrap their heads around the idea that there is a government body out there that is, is a business. Is a business. I think it also gets down to whether you consider the profits that Australia Post makes to be taxpayer money or not. Yeah, I think a big problem with this story is that Christine Holgate, when she was first questioned, said, "Oh, don't worry, like none of the no taxpayer money was spent on these watches," and technically that's kind of true. So Australia Post makes its own money. It puts that back into the business for things like buying Cartier watches. But that the profits from this business goes towards the government and the government puts it into this big like kit, kitty of money with all our taxpayer dollars in it and the money they make from from the Australia Post. So it's not like my tax dollar has gone to the government, the government has given it to Australia Post to run their business and then Australia Post has passed it on to make like to this executive in the form of Cartier watch. It's just that maybe that $5,000 bonus could have turned into taxpayer money if it had been paid out in dividends to the Australian government. Yeah, essentially. So the government is the only shareholder. They're the people that are going to get paid if this company makes a profit. So the less profit the company makes notionally, the less money the government gets. So it honestly is like a, you know, tomato, tomato, whether you consider this to be taxpayer money or not. But I think a lot of people did have the idea that literally in the same way that our money goes to like schools and roads and other public services, that our money that we're paying in tax has gone somewhere in in some form to Australia Post. Yeah. But also at the end of the day, money that could have been used to pay for school or roads has gone to executives at Australia Post, notionally. So it's difficult. And I think that's where the difference between the responsibilities that a private company or a government company has, which is that in the capital system, a private company is entitled to do whatever it wants with profit. Totally. But I think maybe the question isn't, should we be holding government uh, employees to a lower standard. It should be, should we be holding private entities and companies to a higher standard? Oh, God, Matilda, that's a question for like a whole other day, a whole other podcast. <laughs> like, let's stick with public okay. government organisations and we people here. We won't start the revolution just yet. Oh, God, no. You know what? I'm still waiting for an Australia Post package. <laughs> so I, I'm not convinced that things have got better since Holgate's left. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. That's all we have time for this week. We would love for you to join our online community. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Old Boys Club Pod. On Twitter at Old Boys Club Pod. Or you can email us oldboysclubpod at gmail.com. And we would love, as we said earlier, for you to join our Facebook group. Old Boys Club Podcast Community. Full word this time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is by the amazing Alexis Weaver. Our show is produced by Anthony Furchie and Alex Ty. Mixing and editing by Alex Ty. And we are your hosts, Matilda Bosley. And Justine Landis-Hanley. And this is Old, Old Boys, Boys Club. Club. Our podcast. And there's no, we're not boys. <laughs> Woo-hoo!
Send an SMS looking into government expenditure. What did both parties say about it? The PM was scathing in government. Hogan resigns or she was sacked and everybody forgets about it for a while. So while we're speaking about it this week, there was a special Senate committee.